The shortest path is six inches, but the right path starts at your point of origin, goes around your head, and travels to Des Moines, Iowa before hitting its end point. Des Moines, Iowa is hypothetical. Oh, I understand. Welcome back to Rock Hard Caucus. This is episode 133. It is January 28th of 2024, and I think we are finally ready to start counter-programming the manosphere. <laughs> uh, I've got I've got Evan here with me as usual. Hi, Evan. Yes, sir. We're ready to flood the airwaves with uh, counter content for the manosphere to make them into good, good, well-adjusted members of. Uh, an equitable society so yeah yeah that's we'll how, see how that works work. out <laughs> uh and we are joined today by a very important guest we've got keenan crow keenan thanks for joining us thanks for having me uh and do do we want to say what your job is so that we sort of uh make it clear that you are an authority on the subject <laughs> I mean, I think we, we probably have to. Yeah, uh, I, I'm the director of policy and advocacy over at, at One Iowa, which is a statewide LGBTQ uh, advocacy organization. And so um, that also means that I spend a lot of my time on the Hill uh, during the legislative session directly talking to legislators. Yeah, which seems like a difficult job. I would not be well suited to that, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, same here. It takes a certain breed. and perhaps more importantly uh you also play guitar and keyboard and uh do some vocals in the band arius yes yeah you (laughs) You got that the right way to say it okay that is the right way to say it yes (laughs) (laughs) and you also do a bunch of the production for that band so yes and for some other bands as well yeah yeah so i wanted to talk to you specifically today because uh we're in another legislative session and Iowa Republicans are going wild with uh, very anti-LGBTQ bills, as they did last year and a little bit the year before that. Most years, yeah. <laughs> they, they've been really <laughs> on that recently. Um, and I kind of wanted to have... We're having this discussion like in the shadow of the death of the Ron DeSantis presidential campaign, uh, despite a vast list of prominent endorsements in Iowa. He got a distant second place in our caucuses. Uh, he got, wait, did he drop out before New Hampshire? <laughs> he did, didn't he? <laughs> he did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. A couple days before, I think. Right. Right. I, yeah. I remember we were recording our show last week discussing the yeah. possibility he was about to, and then he dropped out before I released the episode. That's what happened. Yep. On the same day. <laughs> <laughs> So I've got pulled up in front of me a list of uh, Iowa endorsements that Ron DeSantis got. And we're going to be hearing a lot of these names again as we discuss all the bills that are being proposed. Uh, (laughs) Maybe most prominently, Kim Reynolds, our governor, endorsed DeSantis, put herself out there in kind of an unprecedented way to support his presidential campaign. Uh, Governors typically haven't weighed in in that way in our primary. And uh, Bob Vanderplatz, leader of the Iowa evangelical community, also went hard for Ron. And then he got more uh, state legislators than I think any other candidate. Yeah, more than more than Trump. 
by a good number. Amy Sinclair, Jack Whitford, Dave Rowley, Mark Costello, Tom Shipley, not related to Jeff Shipley. Hmm. <laughs> Ken Rosenboom, Jesse Green, Dennis. Well, maybe Keenan knows how to pronounce all these names. Is it Dennis Guth? It is Guth, yes. Guth, okay. See, these are people that you have to talk to, so you have to know how to say their names. Yes. Another reason Gen- I would generally. not be uh, well suited yeah. to the job. <laughs> we have a, we have a bad history with names on this podcast. I I'm mean, butchering them. <laughs> yeah, if I have to say something out loud, I typically ask somebody before I just get. It. <laughs> I was saying Eleanor Levin's name so incorrectly for the longest time. So, oh really? What yeah. were you saying? Levin. Okay, it's, Le- it's Levin. Yeah. I don't, I don't feel like that's that egregious of a mistake. Still a mistake, though. Uh, Waylon Brown, Mike Klimish, Dan Zumbach. That's Zumbach, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I think it's Zumbach. Oh, okay. Oh, oh. That, is it? I, I, that I know, one I don't I know, know. other Zumbachs. Well, we'll, we'll okay. say so. Zumbach then. Right. <laughs> but it that's could what be I never had to say out loud. Different clan, you know? So. <laughs> Adrian Dickey, Jeff Reichman. Uh, this is one that I've, I've always found difficult. Matt Winschittle? Winschittle, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you find that name to be funny at all? Maybe you shouldn't say. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will reserve comments on the funniness of names. Okay, okay. <laughs> all right. Good plan, good plan. Uh, John Wills, Robert Henderson, Skylar Wheeler. Skylar Wheeler is a, a big, mm-hmm. important one. Uh, Ann Meyer, Henry Stone, Brian Best. This one was interesting. Uh, Steve Holt initially endorsed Ron, and then right before the caucuses, switched his endorsement to Vivek, who is all... I, I'd say Ron and Vivek were the, the guys like most gung-ho about their like anti-trans policies. Yeah, I don't know how uh, gung-ho Vivek actually was about policies. He liked to use <laughs> it as a rhetorical tool, and he mm-hmm. had his little Ten True. Commandments thing, but I never... I'm not sure that I ever heard him talk about a policy related to... I'm not sure I ever heard him talk about a policy, period. But. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But definitely not <laughs> in any level of specificity like Ron did. Right. He was more about just taking big swings and having fun out there. Whereas Ron had a pretty extensive uh, record to point to with his right. uh, leadership of Florida. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He can't couldn't get away from what the legislators were doing there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ken Carlson, David Seek. Do you know no, that one? I don't know. I don't know. No, yeah. no. <laughs> no idea. Devin, Devin Wood, Tom Moore, Brent Segrist, Hans Wills. I don't know yeah, if I've ever seen yep, that name Hans before. Wills. Yeah. I don't, oh, no. I've seen a picture of him. Okay. Uh, yeah. He's one of the best dressed people in the caucus, honestly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. A nice sort of uh, blue plaid suit is his like official photo. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of well dressed, um, John Dunwell. Uh, yeah, I've yeah, also very well dressed. Him in a, a bow tie. <laughs> yeah, bow tie. He was one of the ones who was taking flack over the uh, Satanist display. Yeah, and you know, for all of uh, of what uh, Representative Dunwell and I disagree on, I, I thought his position on that was actually fairly reasonable. Um, you know, right. which is why he was taking flack. It, but <laughs> right. which is yeah. why he's wearing a bow tie. <laughs> bow tie is libertarian conservative. Oh. That's, that's a signifier. Tucker I didn't Carlson, know that. I didn't famously, know that. <laughs> is the as, bow tie as, guy. As a personally recovering libertarian, be... I don't think I ever had a bow tie uh, or, a, or a fedora phase. Or wait, there uh, was uh, yeah, one of those Milton Friedman or one of those guys like always wore a bow tie. 
And then all of his, like, disciples also wore them. Yeah. Sort of like uh, Nation of Islam. They've got a similar uniform. (laughs) they got a uniform. (laughs) I just think that's funny because there's a lot of gay men that wear bow ties. So it's like, I mean, Mm -hmm. a lot of crossover between libertarian and and, uh, gay attire, apparently. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I guess I'd never noticed a a trend there with with gay fashion and bow ties. Yeah. It's a certain, like... uh, I don't know that I know any gay men who wear bow ties. That's fair. It's like the professional, like, uh, corporate, uh, you know, have to wear a suit with it kind of uh, right, attire right, there. Right. Hmm. And a bow tie is more fun than a regular tie. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, both yeah. of them, you're going to be slowly strangled to death, but yes. <laughs> oh, I have seen, there is pictures of Pete Buttigieg wearing a bow tie. See? Oh, out okay. there. Told you. Yeah. One of the most and, professional and Chaston too. Yeah, I do like Chaston. Yeah, Chaston is very sympathetic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bill Gustoff or Gustav? Gustav, yeah, Gustav. Dan Gelbach, uh, Carter Nordman. Uh, he's mm-hmm. one that I I keep an eye on sometimes. Do you know about <laughs> Carter Nordman, Evan? No, he's like super young. With so, a name like, yeah, Carter definitely sounds like a, <laughs> we're going on names here, but mm-hmm. <laughs> Carter definitely gives like young Republican vibes. Yeah. Yeah. He's 25 and he's in, he's a state rep. I have not interacted with him a whole lot. I did um, see one time that somebody tried to fist fight him, but that was about it. Oh. <laughs> like at work or? <laughs> yeah. At the Capitol. It was some, some goofball who has these like anti-porn bills and um, you can always pick that guy oh. up because he's wearing like combat boots with a full suit. That's like the only thing that he wears. And yeah, I don't, I don't think he's allowed at the Capitol anymore because he tried to fist fight Carter. <laughs> <laughs> Does wow. that happen a lot at the Capitol? No. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a relative rarity. I think that's the only time I've seen something even remotely close to that. <laughs> yeah. People are more threatening towards, like, uh, inanimate objects at the, yeah, at the like, state Yeah, like, <laughs> the, right. uh, like the Satanist thing. Yeah. Uh, speaking of anti-porn bills, that, that's been, like, a Sandy Salmon idea in recent years, right? Yeah. I mean... Here's one of these stories that I don't know if I should tell, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, they sent a porn star to my office to talk about this one time. <laughs> to, to, like, advocate against porn? Yeah, yeah. A former huh. porn star, and, like, her position was, like, porn trafficked me, uh, essentially. Oh. And, uh, yeah, but she did it in a very kind of underhanded she was like called me up and was like ah hey you want to i want to talk about advocacy stuff and i was like okay mm-hmm. do that and so she comes in and was like sat down and was like hey can i record you and i was like i don't even know what we're talking about yet so no uh <laughs> let's let's go ahead and have a chat and not record me uh during this process and so she starts talking oh yeah i just you know the basically the underlying premise was i think the gays are really good at advocacy and can you help me pass this bill um and so it's like all right well let's let's see what the bill is and so we start talking about it and at some point i realized oh this is sandy salmon's anti-porn bill i'm just like there's <laughs> there's absolutely no way that i'm helping you with this and then it comes out oh i'm a i'm a former porn star and porn is all trafficking and i need you to help stop the trafficking blah blah, blah. i'm just like okay well this bill literally creates a registry of anybody who like wants to be born <laughs> on their computer and i'm like right. i don't care what else you have to say about that i'm just like 
opposed to this on principle. Um, right. I yeah, don't think so, that's really the way to solve the, the trafficking yeah, issues. <laughs> yeah, no, not even remotely close. Is this a way to solve the trafficking issue? And uh, yeah. Anyway, we went around and around and around and eventually she got kicked out of the office. So uh, mm. fun story. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Just information for our listeners, Keenan did consent to being recorded right now. So what yes. you're hearing is agreed upon. <laughs> we did not trick them into doing this. <laughs> uh, and then the rest of Ron's endorsements were uh, Phil Thompson, Dave Dio, Dean Fisher, Tom Dieterman, Norlin Momsen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that name. That's a fun one. Yeah. Uh, Mike Vondren and Taylor Collins. So a really long list of people who are elected to the Iowa legislature who put themselves out there to support Ron DeSantis, who has failed pretty badly to uh, overtake Donald Trump. Yeah. And most of these folks are on the social conservative side of the caucus, too. I'll point out, like, if you Mm -hmm. would have given me that list, I would have been like, yeah, that's probably (laughs) a list of people on a bill that I don't like. Um, Not all of them. There's a there's a handful of moderates that you just listed, but most of them Mm -hmm. are on the social conservative side. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's as opposed to uh, the list of Trump endorsements, which includes right. uh, one of our favorites, uh, Sherry Lynn Westridge, former yes. member yes. of the Rentals. Yes. <laughs> we always have really good conversations, Sherry Lynn and I. Uh, we don't agree <laughs> on policy at all, but she's an interesting person. Yeah, absolutely. Were you about to say something, Evan? Oh, I was just going to say that Amy Sinclair is the president of the, the Senate, and she <laughs> was among that. She was the first name you listed, I think. Yes. Yep. So... Just wanted to point that out. Mm-hmm. And Jack Whitver was the second name I said. He's a uh, yeah, majority right. leader. So yes. two very prominent legislators. Basically the two people in charge of the Senate there, yeah. Right. So, uh, Keenan, I, I believe you are responsible for this list on the One Iowa website of uh, bills currently under yes. consideration, right? Yes, and I think I just updated it. So I should say updated on 128 if you got the latest version there. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. I had a I had an old tab. I refreshed, and now we're looking at current information. <laughs> Good deal. So this includes a lot of bills from last year's legislative session. So these yes. can still be they can still come up for debate, right? Yeah. So the way the Iowa legislature works is off of the two year cycle. Um, so uh, every House member and half of the Senate gets elected every two years, and because we have the same legislators in there for a two year block. Um, anything that's introduced in the first year that isn't essentially passed is automatically goes up for eligibility for debate for the second year. So it doesn't carry over in between cycles, though. So like next year, the year the bills introduced this year are not going to be uh, eligible for debate, but it does work for the second year of a two year. I see. Okay. Yeah. I I don't even know where to start. So maybe we should try to find one of these that that you consider to have a high chance of being passed. Um, Sure. Um, (laughs) I I think this year, one of the biggest threats are the religious exemption uh, type pieces of legislation. So there's a couple of them that I would consider threats. One is kind of nicknamed uh, RIFRA or the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Um, Mm -hmm. As everyone knows, they name things uh, <laughs> just it's to make them more euphemism. palatable, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're not discriminating. We're yeah. protecting well, and religious that one, freedom. <laughs> that one ultimately is tricky because um, at the national level, RIFRA was kind of widely supported by the left and by um, the ACLU and uh, a number of prominent kind of liberal organizations. 
Uh, and the reason for that, it, it all came about because of a case called Smith uh, down in New Mexico. It was about uh, an individual who uh, took peyote for a Native American mm-hmm. religious ritual and then lost their unemployment benefits. And, and everybody was basically like, well, that doesn't doesn't really seem right that you just because you participate in a religious ceremony, even though you're a, a member of a minority religious group, that you would be punished for that. And so RIFRA right. was was established um, essentially to, to be a shield for those minority religious beliefs. Now, uh, unfortunately, the way that the courts have interpreted a lot of these uh, provisions have made it into a sword for majority <laughs> religious <laughs> beliefs. And uh, in particular, the the language around substantial burden it now seems to mean any burden at all there's recently a case of a group of nuns who didn't want to check a box on a form so that they could opt out of providing contraception and that was the the checking the box on the form was interpreted to be a substantial burden that doesn't feel very substantial (laughs) (laughs) to me and so that's why uh even though there was kind of initially uh support behind this this rifra movement and we still do have the federal one but the federal one does not apply to state statutes so um Mm -hmm. there's about 25 other states that that have these and they vary um relatively wildly from really really horrible stuff to not so bad uh based on how those state courts interpret that and what kind of other protections are um in place but the the real meat and potatoes of it is it allows people to kind of opt out of <laughs> whatever they would like uh there's no nexus it can't it's not just civil it it can also be in criminal law and the uh be, the burden to overcome it um it's kind of the the, the staunchest uh constitutional test that we have um so it's unless you're being physically harmed or something you're probably not going to uh overcome that religious exemption in in those cases it also even if you don't necessarily win it encourages people to test the limits of it right to discriminate right. and then see if they can get away with it mm-hmm. right and this is kind of the uh it comes out of the uh the baking a cake for a gay couple thing right yeah 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 absolutely um which is always a a weird conversation to have uh, especially when you have folks like like bob vanderplatt saying oh this will you know make a jewish butcher um butcher a pig for you and that's just not (laughs) how it works (laughs) right like if you provide service x you just have to provide service x to everybody regardless of who they are mm-hmm. um they can't force you to provide service y but if you provide service x you you provide it and the the cake thing was very silly because there's no substantial difference between a, a gay cake and a straight cake like that's just not a a thing so if you provide cakes <laughs> you provide cakes uh regardless of to mm-hmm. whom they are going <laughs> i also remember the the big obamacare debate about the uh, religious exemption for contraceptives yes. yeah. that yeah. Yeah, that's big. kind of what I was alluding to with the checkbox, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think Hobby Lobby is actually where everything yeah. went south for Rifra, and, and the left kind of was like, well, I don't know about that interpretation. That's not really <laughs> what we meant. <laughs> right, yeah. So th- there's a there was a bill introduced by uh, Jeff Shipley last year, which you have labeled as a, a Rifra bill. Yes. Yep. And uh, your summary is it allows people to pick and choose which laws they will follow based on their stated religious yeah. beliefs. Yeah, we've got a couple RIFRAs this year, too. I don't think I've labeled them as such, but they're like mm-hmm. the, if you go to the very end of the list, they're like 
uh, not the last one, but the two before it, uh, SF-2095 and HSB-614, and I imagine. Yeah. So one of them is getting a hearing. The House one is getting a hearing on Tuesday, and I imagine the Senate one, I think they want that through full committee by the end of the week. So um, that one's moving quickly. Right. And and they're, this is their attempt to allow people to, like, uh, you know, medical providers to not provide gender this is different this is even more broad than the medical provider religious exemption so the medical provider religious exemptions were debated last week um and that is also a thing unfortunately (laughs) um that's uh ssb 3006 that's i think that's one of the first ones that was uh, introduced in 2024 so that Mm -hmm. one's about religious providers facilities and insurers um and you know i i continue to maintain that the facilities (laughs) do not have religious beliefs but <laughs> well and insurers like it's right you say here yeah. that it allows insurers to say a procedure violates their conscience and refuse yeah. to pay correct like your job yeah, is a lot just... of insurers are going to get consciences really quickly <laughs> right, yeah. yeah any reason they can have to to withhold those funds Man. yeah yeah <laughs> yep you bet and and um I mean, I guess, I guess to the credit of the drafter in this case, they, that one is not just religious. That is any moral or conscientious objection. So you don't have to claim a, a religious nexus there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And so you say that the bill that's even more broad than that, what would be like, uh, an example of like how somebody could take advantage of, of that principle? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've got some real world examples and then we've got like, um, you know, theoretical uh, stuff. Yeah. The the long and short is that people are going to, in particular, what they want to allow people to do with this is they want to allow people to not serve LGBTQ people in some way, shape or form, right, to opt out of some sort of of civil rights protection, whether that be for public accommodations, uh, which is like providing goods and services, so hotels, um, sandwich shops, car rentals, you know, all that stuff. Uh, or credit practices or housing or, you know, whatever, whatever there is a protection for, they're trying to find a way to opt out of that in in some way, shape or form. This can have some really bizarre consequences. The one that that comes to mind right now is uh, Perez via Paragon Contractors out in Utah. This is a fundamentalist Mormon sect that was using its school uh, essentially to have children run heavy machinery like nut harvesters oh. and stuff like that. Uh, and the the head of the sect got out of testifying in the case because he said that his um, religious beliefs prevented him from testifying in court. So you've got stuff like that. And, and that was that was allowed. He was he did not have to testify because there was a RIFRA in that state. So you get really weird stuff like that where it's like, well, you can't even sometimes imagine what the consequences are going to be or what somebody's going to claim is against their religious beliefs uh, until you do this. Yeah, wow. You can just like completely opt out of like society. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, sovereign citizens win, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) As long as they're religious. Yeah. Yeah. Most of them are. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and this this may affect us here because uh, a Utah-based company recently uh, took over our favorite gas station chain, Come and Go. Yeah, Maverick. Soon soon to be Maverick. So Maverick Mm -hmm. may be allowed to employ child slave labor based on religious freedom. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and again, there's no there's no barrier there, right? If you want to say uh, my religion allows me to do child slave labor, you could you could claim that. Now the courts don't have to uh, agree with you, but it does encourage people to test the bounds in, in right, kind of yeah. wild ways like that. Right. Yeah. Well, since you brought up, uh, you know, basically revoking civil rights from certain <laughs> groups of people, I, that is explicitly proposed in uh, House File yes. 2082 from our good friend J-Dog Shipley. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, well, he's, uh, Shipley has been uh, tweeting about this, and I have friends who have been texting his personal cell phone number and uh, engaging in extensive conversations with him about this. Uh, mm. But basically what his bill proposes is that gender identity is taken out of the Iowa Civil Rights Act Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if this is actually in the bill, but he's saying that it should be instead classified as a disability. That is in the bill, yes. It's in the bill. Okay. It is in the bill, yeah. Uh, so he, J Dog sort of specializes in this kind of like insincere bad trolling. faith. I think that's yeah. trolling, yeah. It, it is. Uh, you know, he's like, I'm doing this because I actually care about them more than you do. Uh, despite, you know, every trans person who's talking to him saying, I do not want to have <laughs> my, my right. rights removed from the Iowa Civil Rights Act. I think this would be right. bad for me. Uh, he knows better than they do about their own lives. I, I guess what else do we have to say about that? What's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> so um, the long and short of what's going on here is there is a group of legislators who do not like that this is a protected class. Yeah. Their kind of barrier to this up to this point has been, yeah, we don't like it, but we also don't like the idea of taking rights away from people. And so the way that they're kind of getting around it with this legislation is they're saying, oh, we're not taking it away. We're just reclassifying it. And now it lives in the disability area rather than as its own class. Um, There's a number of reasons that that's not correct. (laughs) number one is that there's a substantial number of trans people who don't have gender dysphoria right they don't have a diagnosis they're not interested in getting a diagnosis and so it would not you know under those under this particular bill none of those people would be protected um it it creates sort of a a hurdle to clear in order to qualify it as a disability yeah yeah it gatekeeps the actual protection versus we know that the vast majority of these things don't happen because somebody has a diagnosis they happen because somebody appears mm-hmm. to look different than right, someone right. else thinks that they should look right and so that's where the protection should live on the basis of perception not on the basis of whether or not somebody has some sort of diagnosis because you can easily envision you know a trans person going and trying to rent an apartment and being told no i'm not going to rent to you because you're trans and then going and filing a civil rights complaint only to be told well you don't have an official diagnosis and so sorry you can't rent that apartment um that's a very silly and and not <laughs> constructive way to do anti-discrimination policy um there's also a lot of lower income folks who are not going to be able to get a diagnosis and then the, there's this entire other issue that there's no other condition by <laughs> itself Written into the Iowa Civil Rights Act as per se disabling. Um, that <laughs> that's a nonsense position. Disability litigation is based on fact patterns, right? Like you can't perform X because right. you are impaired in in some way, shape, or 
form and this is impacting your life in a significant way. There are tons of people with gender dysphoria whose life is not impacted in such a way that it is disabling. Right. Um, And so not only is that not particularly helpful in a civil rights sense, it's also not particularly helpful in a disability sense because now you're really muddying the waters in terms of what kind of uh, impairments people have to have before they get classified as a disability. And again, writing a specific condition into there is is very silly because any sort of condition is going to have folks who have it very severely or, or barely have it at all and it's not disabling. Um, so there's, there's a number of problems with this. I won't go into literally all of them because there's <laughs> even more, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, um, I also saw that he was tweeting... <sighs> This was this was a very interesting one yesterday. Here, I'll just pull it. Uh, it says, is it lawful to use a credit score to evaluate a transgender yeah. person's loan application, or would that criteria create a disparate impact? Um, right. Not going to address that with him, but I will address that here uh, <laughs> because that's I just think my not question how... was: uh, What are you talking about? What are you talking <laughs> about? Are you are you insane? <laughs> so, first of all, as a legislator, you have access to the this entire agency called the Legislative Services Agency, and you mm-hmm. can ask them all of these questions, and they will tell you exactly how these things work. Um, you do not have to have a hearing uh, in order to determine how these things work. But oh, right, for that's anybody, how, that's kind of how he's portraying the situation is like he has yeah. to bring these topics up he has debate. to because we have so to figure it out <laughs> yeah 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 that's nonsense um not only could he ask the lsa he could ask any commissioner on the iowa civil rights commission how this works he could read a book about how anti-discrimination protections work he could look up mm-hmm. any of the legal cases surrounding this and see what the rationale was for awarding damages there's a number of different ways actually a, a, a subcommittee is the worst way because all you're going to get is people essentially saying don't take our rights away you're not going to get a deep dive into the mechanics of how civil rights protections work so yeah um, for your listeners though that, i will i will happily people... tell you <laughs> how civil rights protections work. Massive people telling you, don't take my rights away, they'll be just summarily, you know, dismissed, ignored completely. Right. Yeah. As yeah, if that exactly. shouldn't be enough for you to, like, not pass this. <laughs> so, so civil rights protections work with what's called a but for test. Uh, in other mm-hmm. words, but for your membership in the class, you would have gotten this thing, whatever it is, whether it's a car rental or a, an apartment or, you know, whatever else. Um, so it, it a credit score has nothing to do with someone's gender identity. So it does have literally no impact on that at all. Um, and I think I, I mentioned something into this in my reply. The, the mechanism is exact, exactly the same for race or for religion or for anything else, right? It's not like it's a special area of the code. It just says this is one of the classes and here's all the things you can't do to these various classes. It's not like, oh, and by the way, for gender identity, here's this extra section of things that you can't do. <laughs> in fact, gender identity has some extra exceptions um, on top of it that other things do not have. So so not only does is it not more rigorous, it's actually weaker than in, than the rest of the uh, subsections because there's there's some specific exemptions written in there that say okay, but in the case of gender identity discrimination, this doesn't count essentially. Right, right. Um, you are allowed so, to discriminate against them a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They wrote that in there in terms of, of Medicaid, and they wrote that in there mm-hmm. in terms of a few other things, um, restroom access in schools, and a number of other. Um, 
exceptions that are specifically written in. So it's it's actually the weakest protection out of all of them, not the strongest in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, evaluating somebody with a credit score, totally allowed because it has nothing to do with the protected class status of that person. Um, evaluating somebody with a credit score and then picking the person with the worst credit score because you don't like transgender people, yeah, now we're... <laughs> <laughs> now we're in the in the area of something that could maybe be uh, raised as a civil rights right. complaint. So this brings up like it, it's it seems like overall very difficult to actually enforce these civil rights laws in the first. It place. is, yeah, because, it like, is. If, if someone made a decision like that, like. Well, this person's trans, so even though their credit's really good, we're going to give it to someone else. But no one ever really knows why that decision was made i mean you know but you don't have maybe conclusive proof mm-hmm. right correct that's that's part of the reason that keeping these protections in is so important too because most of the time people are not going to be as stupid as to just say <laughs> i'm doing this because you are a member of a protected class right they're going <laughs> right, to couch right. it in in some other rationale uh but you know, when this is part of a statute, that means you can sue and you can go into discovery and you can mm-hmm, start mm-hmm. digging through and mm-hmm. establishing fact patterns. You know, oh, it seems like these three transgender people came in to write this apartment and they were all turned away. But these other three non-transgender people came in and, and they were not turned away. And so, yeah, now we've got something that we can actually go off of to demonstrate that people are being discriminated against because of class-based status or they're actually – telling folks in their email or their text messages what they're really doing and they're not telling the the person <laughs> mm-hmm. that they're discriminated against what they're really doing. So that discovery component is actually a very important component to keep there because if we get rid of this protection, we get rid of that discovery. And then not only are we not able to bring the claim forward, we're not able to establish it in any way, shape or form. So People aren't going to go to the press when they have no evidence. People aren't going to raise these complaints at all if they take this class stuff out of the code. So it's not just bad because because the words are missing. It's there's a lot of really important mechanisms that we're getting rid of in the process. Right, right. Uh, I, I do support. You know, if he's you know inching closer to this, like abolishing credit scores, is that is that on the table? <laughs> do you think? <laughs> I wish. I mean. Uh, <laughs> I think if his pitch is, oh, no, this will this will abolish credit scores, there would be a lot of people on both sides of the aisle that would be like, uh, oh, OK. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Or, or yeah. Maybe, so sad about getting rid of the credit scores. Maybe, you know, uh, a negotiation that we could have, we could reach a deal where, like, yes, gender identity is removed from the Iowa Civil Rights Act, but... If if you belong to that class, you get like a bump in your a credit boost. score. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that sounds kind of like a social credit score to me. I don't know about <laughs> that. <right. laughs> yeah, not sure we can get behind that one, but uh... <laughs> uh, you also, of course, uh, briefly mentioned uh, bathroom access, which is mm, sa- sure. sadly also still being discussed, despite. Mm-hmm. This, I thought, being resolved nationally many years ago. Uh, yeah, we thought so, too. <laughs> we're arguing about this again. Uh, thanks this year to Sandy Salmon, but thanks last year to uh, uh, Hayes. I forget who that was. but Helena Hayes, yeah. Right. Two, so two years in a row, this has been proposed in a bill. Yeah, more than that, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I think they proposed bathroom bills for like the last six years, honestly. <laughs> um, bathroom bills are... I hate talking about them because it's just like the evidence is is so clear um, that 
that's I think the frustrating thing is it, this that that particular issue and then the incarceration issue. Um, the mm. the folks who propose these bills assert that the data is in like one bucket, but it's actually the exact opposite of what they're asserting, which could not be more frustrating. Um, so with restroom access. It, Lots of states have implemented this. Um, over 300 cities and municipalities have implemented the ability for transgender people to use the restrooms that that match their gender identity. And Iowa has had it since 2007 mm, okay. um, in in the Civil Rights uh, Act. And since 2007, the world has not fallen. I'm not aware of any incidents of transgender people in Iowa assaulting people in restrooms. Um, and that's yeah. a pretty long period of time. You'd think if this was some sort of epidemic that we'd have maybe one, <laughs> if not like one every week or one every month or something, something to demonstrate that they are somehow behaving in a way different than not transgender people. Um and yet, <laughs> and yet the data is is just totally lacking. I did see a subcommittee co op for the the incarceration one that would put you know trans women in in men's prisons. Right. Um, that got canceled. I don't know if it's going to be rescheduled or what the deal is. But again, same deal there. If you look at the um, sexual assault rates on transgender people versus the sexual yeah, assault absolutely. rates from transgender people, they are exactly the opposite of what opponents assert. Putting trans women in men's prisons is just a recipe for them being assaulted repeatedly. In and with no consequence. So it is it, statistically the safest thing that you can do in an incarceration situation is place people based on their gender identity and then listen to them if they say they need any sort of additional protective access. I mean, prisons are, are torture chambers to begin with, but yeah. um, should make them worse. Yeah, much like abolishing the credit score, what if we actually just like sidestep this issue entirely and just stop putting people in prison yeah <laughs> i'm with that or uh, well we can take that even further what if we just don't have uh gendered bathrooms at all <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 i mean uh well and, and i've had some folks even from the far right that i think we've we've I really wish that they would actually come up with this bill because we have a lot of agreement on, you know, uh, number one, making stalls better <laughs> so that yeah. there's not gaps in them and requiring yeah. that they actually uh, don't show anything. And number two, just having gender neutral restrooms with full ceiling to floor yes, stalls. That, right. that is something I think everyone can get behind. It would make Why the situation better gaps? for everybody. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Who designed that? I guess it's because they're so they can look in to see if people are like shooting heroin or something. Like it's it's all incarceration state stuff. Yeah. 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 yeah it's all surveillance. Yeah. There's also often a gap between the cleanliness of one bathroom versus another, but if we were all using the same yeah. rooms like there's the uniform to, level of clean, cleanliness yeah there. keep everything the same level <laughs> of like a little bit disgusting and <laughs> <laughs> everyone wins yeah i mean not only have i never seen like a story about like an assault happening in a bathroom i've never aside from i can think of one oh, example, there's one i, <laughs> I can think of one example <laughs> i can't think of anyone we'll, ever we'll even, that. even being like uncomfortable with with like another person in a bathroom aside from that kid who had a podcast the, the <laughs> turning point kid that we talked about a while oh, ago oh yeah oh yeah, i'm thinking yeah. of a different one actually i was thinking of the 
your situation. You can cut this. <laughs> <laughs> that was an assault that occurred in a bathroom. That's yeah, that's true. That's true. But it had nothing to do with gender identity at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, last year, kind of, I think the biggest headline of the legislative session was how they were uh, siphoning a bunch of public money into private schools. Mm, and yeah. there's also a lot of uh, bills proposed in this session that sort of cross the two topics, uh, gender identity in schools. Yeah. Uh, they don't want you to be allowed to talk about it at all in school. <laughs> right. Right. Which is funny because, you know, um, as I keep mentioning and as the federal judge pointed out in the ruling on the uh, um, don't say gay, don't say trans stuff. Everybody has a gender identity, and so if you mm-hmm. prevent folks from talking about gender identity, uh-oh, uh, We're all... <laughs> you're, you're in a very difficult <laughs> no position. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you either have to refer to everybody as genderless or, like, not mention that they're a certain gender, which, uh, I don't know. Again, this just seems like an untenable position to me. Uh, what mm-hmm. they really want to do is say, don't talk about transgender people, right? right. But they can't yeah. do that because... <laughs> That's obviously unconstitutional. So yeah. this is their uh, way around it. But I don't think it's much of a way around it because, I mean, if federal judges are seeing through the charade, then that's probably not <laughs> yeah. a good sign. I'd say that, you know, on the whole, federal judges are probably not inclined to to see this in a progressive way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. They're not. It's not like they're looking at it like I'm looking at it. They're looking at it like a federal judge is going to look at it and even they see what's going on. Right. Right. Uh, One that I thought (laughs) like a very specific one that I thought was really strange was uh, there's a bill about like if you're teaching a foreign language in a school, you're you're not allowed (laughs) to use gender neutral terms. If I don't know if you watched that. What? <laughs> well, it specifically says you're not allowed to change the language to use gender neutral terms, which I thought was an interesting turn yeah, of phrase. Yeah, well, because, yeah, there's gendered, uh, like, uh, most languages other than English have gendered, like, nouns or whatever. Right. Well, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and it that was, okay. <laughs> there are a lot of subcommittees that I go to where I'm just like, these arguments are terrible. And, you know, I understand what the argument is, but it's, it's just really bad. Mm-hmm. This was not one of those subcommittees. After I came out of the subcommittee, I literally did not understand what the argument was, which I think <laughs> is a first for me, because I went in there thinking, like, maybe this is about referring to students in gender neutral ways or something like that. Uh-huh. Nope. He said that's not it. He said that it's it's about the nouns. Like you said, it's about like inanimate objects and how they're referring. <laughs> and so, like, the yeah, only like conclusion French. that I can yeah. come to based on how the language is and what he had said in the subcommittee is that he believes because his reason was he said that there's there's two educators that came to him and said um, they were going to be fired by their administration or disciplined by their administration for not implementing this gender neutral language. Mm. So the only conclusion I can come to is that he believes that administrators are forcing these educators to make words up. <laughs> to be gender neutral because remember we have to change the language right so it can't be something that already exists so we, we have to make words up and if you don't make these words up on the spot and tell them to students you will be fired uh, well i, I can't yeah. come to any other conclusion based uh, on how the language is written and based on how he represented it in the sub i i literally don't know what else that would be i don't i don't understand how you get to the language in that bill otherwise yeah Okay, so like French, for example, has a a lot of 
nouns where there is a feminine version of the word uh-huh. and a masculine version of the word. Uh-huh. Uh, so if you're teaching a French class, you're teaching those words and like, okay, if you're teaching a foreign language class, you have to have some awareness of that country and its culture. You have yes. to have some broader awareness outside of the state of Iowa and the United States. Yep. And I would assume that then you would be aware that there are French people who are using alternatives to those words in order to be more <laughs> inclusive. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it's a fundamental misunderstanding of like how language works, right? It, mm-hmm. it's, it, it assumes that language is like this tome of different words with definitions that are written in stone to never mm-hmm. change. Right, and right. that if you vary from the tome that you have somehow violated the language versus understanding that language is just a bunch of usages, right? And as soon as people start using words different, you need to adapt how you're teaching it to teach how they're actually being used. Um, And so, yeah, uh, teachers aren't making things up. These are words that are being used by native speakers. And we're just just (laughs) informing them that this is the case. Right. You should be aware of the language you're teaching as a living language. Like, you're not teaching Latin. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, even, you know, we've we've got new words that enter the English lexicon literally all the time, right? Like, if you weren't allowed to teach the word podcasting, or you weren't allowed to teach, you know, something, <laughs> something that's relatively new. Yeah, they, they need to keep that out of schools. No, yeah, yeah I mean, we are trying to counter-program the manosphere, so maybe talking about podcasting is bad. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. What what else is there in in terms of like educational bills? Uh, well, the don't say gay bill, you know, was a, a big deal in Florida, and again, we're trying, yep. we're following in the footsteps of Florida. Because yeah. uh, things are going so well there. All of our state legislators uh, idolize Ron DeSantis. Uh, oh, here, here's another one from Jeff Shipley. Uh, House file 2068. And you describe this as social studies course requirements that spell out a requirement to lie to students about gender affirming care. Yep. 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 So the specific language in there um, around gender affirming care is there's a number of um instruction that you have to to do and one of the categories of things that you have to have instruction on is quote the affirmative argument for prohibiting transgender drugs and surgeries for minors wow (laughs) i don't know (laughs) in other words the argument that no major medical association in the country supports <laughs> this is like yeah. you know being forced to teach evolution or creationism in in biology class, right? Yeah, yeah. Is there any of that going on? Are they are they still pushing that? Not agenda? that I know of. Yeah. That that we kind of put the kibosh on the whole evolution ban. But don't quote me on that. As soon as they hear this podcast, they yeah, may I be mean, back at it. Doesn't mean it won't come back. They brought back the bathroom <laughs> bill. If yeah. you assign right, it right. a three letter a three letter acronym, they will in <laughs> fact ban it. That is what we have found. From DEI to mm-hmm. CRT to yep. SEL to you know, if it's got a three letter acronym, we're in trouble. Yeah. Well, I would think then that you know LGBTQIA, we have enough letters in there now that it should be. I thought so. Outside of the the scope. I really thought so. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. There's been a, a big uh, push to defund DEI. Um, yeah. Maybe 
I don't know if that's totally within the the scope of your work, but you know. Oh yeah, it is absolutely. I mean, I yeah. went. I think I was the only um, speaker that wasn't a student at the oh, right. uh, I, regents meeting. Yeah, I remember <laughs> talking you spoke about that. Yeah. how they, uh, you know, did the the legislature's dirty work um, and banned DEI programming on their campus. And again, if you watch that debate, it's they're trying so hard to give the benefit of the doubt to that policy that they end up talking themselves out of what the policy actually is and actually does. They just spend a whole lot of time being like, so it probably wouldn't ban all of it. Right. And then people being like, I mean, yeah, probably pretty much would. And then they're like, Oh no, no, though. They'll probably be some, it'll probably be fine. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, DEI is sort of like the, the most recent in like institutional efforts to like, (laughs) <laughs> let people be comfortable and, and not uh, right not right persecute minorities um so since it's a, a fairly recent reframing or rebranding of of those efforts like how successful have they been i mean they've been constantly under fire since it began so I, it's been a little bit undermined the whole time yeah i mean um it's questionable right yeah um it it, it really is dependent on the um the programming itself and rather than just being under the banner of DEI. I don't, I don't, I would not want to and would be very suspicious of anybody that says any DEI effort is a good effort. I of think course, that's yeah, obviously yeah. false. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, there's a lot, there's a lot of them that aren't super great. Uh, but to just say that, you know, as a category, any efforts towards this end are bad and, and therefore forbidden. I think that's even worse than right. some of the maybe shoddy programming that was happening in certain areas. I think colleges probably do it a little bit better than corporations do anyway. And so mm-hmm. if you look at, at the campus programming, um, a lot of times it's being pitched by students and right. yeah. by students from those groups. And so uh, it tends to be substantially better, at least in. In, in my opinion. So taking it off of university campuses, I think, is actually quite a detriment uh, to those students. What I talked about when we had that subcommittee was, you know, I, I'm a UNI alum. And so when we had that, I was just like, well, I'll just go to the UNI um, DEI website and see what the programming actually is. And all mm-hmm. I was seeing on there was like uh, Black History Month programming and programming around MLK Day and um, they actually handle the um, ROTC students and like help them uh, navigate if they have uh, deployments or if they have trainings mm-hmm. that they need to get to. They handle all the disability um, accommodations on camp. So it's stuff that people need <laughs> and from <laughs> groups that they even actually like uh, generally, <laughs> right? Like military right. And, and things like that. And yet still the pull from the talking point is is still too much. And so they will just break all those offices apart and say, well, let's just give all the money to the military folks or <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, whatever <laughs> else uh, instead of providing it to students that, that might actually benefit from that programming and, and feeling more included on that campus. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the, lo- the long and short is banning it is a terrible idea, even though it's it, it hasn't necessarily been like the best thing in the world. Right. Anytime you have a corporate um, idea of inclusion, there's going to be some compromises made. And yeah. sometimes those compromises are going to impact the credibility. I, I've of done the program, some but... corporate uh, DEI training before, and I would say it's yeah. not it's not very woke. Um, yeah. Least, and, yeah. And actually, I will say the one I did was actually presented by the ADL. <laughs> And it was oh, not, yeah, it wasn't even like our own, like HR department. They like outsourced it to 
the ADF. Yeah, which, which I will say, generally, if you're going to do it, probably don't keep it inside your own HR department. Right, like, right, go yeah. find an expert. That's that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then, then there's no argument at all that it's only there for PR purposes. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. And and you know, one Iowa does uh, trainings for for businesses and corporations and things. I think our trainings are are quite good, but of course, I'm biased. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. But uh, but you know. It, Again, it just varies. It varies significantly on the content that you have, on the trainer that you have delivering at, um, mm-hmm. are the um, two biggest things. Right, right. Well, uh, when you mentioned speaking at that Regents meeting, it reminded me that I also saw a video of you speaking at uh, like a subcommittee meeting or something about uh, there was a bill about like uh, bringing school chaplains. Into, oh, the chaplains. Yeah. yeah. And you, your argument was that that would open the door to more Satanism in public schools. Correct. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It, and uh, I don't know if you saw the uh, the Friendly Atheist article that came out after that, but he literally asked Lucian Greaves from the Satanic Temple if they would be interested in sending some chaplains to Iowa, and they said they were interested. So, <laughs> And then we're going to get another, like, some failed, like, legislative Mississippi candidate coming, driving up here to, to kill a school chaplain <laughs> or something. <laughs> <laughs> to drive out Satan. <laughs> Man. Yeah, I don't want to have to talk about that in the podcast anymore, but uh, I I will support their efforts. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we've been uh, we've been like even handedly like uh, supporting Satanists and pissing them off. (laughs) I I think that's I think that's the appropriate position. Uh, I have nothing against the Satanists in any way, shape, or form uh, in the same way I have nothing against any other minority religious belief, um, yeah. you know. But, uh, yeah, the Satanic Temple is a little bit of a different game because it's it's there specifically to um, do this kind of stuff. So Right, they yeah. have a, a political purpose, right? Yeah. All right, well, um, we're coming up on an hour. Are there any other bills that you would like to point to specifically? Uh that's that's uh, an interesting question. Um, in terms of the stuff that is is kind of actively moving, um, maybe the other one that I would point to is the conversion therapy preemption bill that oh, prevents yeah. cities and counties from banning conversion therapy, which I think is a misnomer. It's not therapy at all. It's a dangerous, <laughs> discredited practice that is yeah, aimed at uh, changing the sexual orientation or gender identity of a young person. That, that's yeah, what yeah. it is. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's probably a better way to refer to <laughs> it. Yeah. We like to put things plainly on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so there is that. Um, and then the maybe the most ridiculous subcommittee that I've been in up to this point in the legislative session was the what is a woman mm. subcommittee mm. Um, based on the Matt Walsh film. The eternal question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> People have been debating this one for <laughs> millennia. Right. And they define in their bill, a woman is an adult human female. Correct. And that's like the full text of that bill. <laughs> that is the full text of that bill. The thing is, though, that it, it uh, goes in a pretty dangerous part of the Iowa Code. Um, it goes into what called the statutory construction definitions and those are what judges look to to define certain terms and if they see something like this um, they're going to go oh well the legislature meant to meant for me to look at this before i analyze anything further right like this is step one statutory construction is like step one of the analysis 
And woman is mentioned over 100 times mm. in Iowa code. And I haven't gone through all the different mentions of them. But one that I'm worried about in particular um, is in cases of things like uh, rape, um, things like that, where if somebody needs services, sometimes those services are tied to being, quote, a woman. And if that person's a minor and not an adult, right, as right, they have right. put in in this definition, they may no longer qualify for those services. Additionally, you're going to have judges coming up with every definition under the sun of what female means. Right. <laughs> that's not necessarily a clearly defined term, and especially if we're talking about an intersex person, mm-hmm. um, et cetera. I'm also not completely sure in this case, you know, if you've, if, if you're trans and you just want to say you're female, and there's nothing that's, that stops you right. from doing that. And, right. and females, a, a lot of people would argue that, them. especially if you've gone through HRT and, and things like that, you are female, if, essentially, right. um, yeah. even if you haven't, uh, if you've legally changed your gender marker, you're legally female. So, of course, yeah, because they use that terminology on, the, <laughs> on your driver's license. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So I'm not actually sure what this bill does. Aside from being a rhetorical point um, that, mm-hmm. that people can point to, I had some fun with that subcommittee. I had uh, charts printed out and I had a whole thing of different intersex conditions and all that right. stuff. And they went, yep, very cool. Uh, not listening. Bill passes. <laughs> we, are, we are willfully ignorant. And uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, like we, went, we went through how complex... <laughs> We went through how complex sex uh, is and all the different components that make it up and when they happen in your life period. And then uh, Danny Carroll from The Family Leader got up there and said, mm-hmm. Jesus says there's two. So, <laughs> yeah, which I, I don't I don't know how true that even is. It's not. I mean, especially if you consult people who are, uh, you know, very versed in um Jewish history and theology, mm-hmm. they would yeah. they would not tell you that that's how that that all right. shakes out. <laughs> There's a lot of uh, eunuchs in the Bible, for example. Yeah, which may categorize things differently. Um, Keenan, can can yeah. you define what a woman <laughs> is as concisely as that bill? <laughs> as concisely as that bill, no. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, the frustrating thing is that people think that that is such a gotcha, but it's it's like any other ontological question, right? It's like, mm-hmm. what is wetness? Like, how many wa- <laughs> water molecules make something mm-hmm. wet? Mm-hmm. You're not going to come up with some sort of exhaustive definition that everybody agrees on, because ultimately this is a tough ontological question that has a lot of different facets to it. And so, you know, I view... Um, We could define woman, for instance, in a historical way. We could say that this is what these societies thought a woman was and this is what those societies thought a woman was. Uh, But I think ultimately what feminism means is that we don't have an exhaustive definition of this and that we're not going to limit ourselves to all the different ways that this, you know, could be a signifier for certain people and certain groups in, in certain ways. And so... Um, the fact that they want to hammer down that that definition and the fact that it does exclude quite a lot mm-hmm. of people in in the process uh, is is ultimately just an anti-feminist kind of patriarchal way of thinking about gender. Yeah. E- exclusion is the goal, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll notice that with a lot of this legislation that it's not ever defining 
woman and man that it's always defining woman and not woman mm. and if you can't meet the kind of rigid criteria that they have in place for a woman then you fall into the not woman category and you will be judged according this is also the case with their athletics bill right like right. you have to be woman yeah. for all this stuff and if you're not woman then you go into this other category and you can't um play yep. with uh, uh, women in the sports arenas or whatever else. So, yeah, it is very interesting when we get into this weird woman, not woman thing. They're not interested ever in defining man. They're not interested ever in restricting things um, <laughs> on the basis of who a man is. Mm -hmm. It's always just here's this woman category and everything that is not in this category is over here and we don't care about it. Yeah. It's a strange way to view the world. <laughs> um, it's almost like it's about controlling women under the guise of protecting them or something like that yeah mm. yeah it, it is it almost like, like it's that. a control aspect there <laughs> well keenan um do you have a couple minutes to listen to a couple of voicemails we got from people who listen to this podcast Sure. Okay. I don't know if you are uh, a regular listener to our program, but we... I am an occasional listener. Okay. So I, I, I get the premise. Yes. <laughs> Over the past few weeks, we've been getting calls from a guy who lived in the same building that the Vivek Ramaswamy Iowa team was living in. And so he was giving us updates on how that was going. So here's another update from the Vivek apartment guy. Gary, over. Come in, Rock Hard Caucus. Over. <laughs> this is Vivek's apartment uh, guy uh, reporting from deep behind enemy lines. <laughs> I thought he'd leave when he dropped out of the race, but no, he just barricaded himself and his family inside our building. Uh, I've been holding out since the snow started. There's not much more left that we can do. <laughs> if we're living by his commandments now. Over and out. <laughs> All right. So he, uh, it sounds like there may be like a, a neighborhood in Des Moines that is now under the control of Vivek's 10 Truths. There's a, <laughs> a truth zone <laughs> yeah. that's been established. So I'm, I'm not allowed there because there's only two genders. I would imagine <laughs> that that would like rack open the... Uh, <laughs> the universal kind of, rules and constants. Yeah, some kind of force field around the perimeter, yeah. I think. Uh, one one thing that happens occasionally on the show is that uh, we will receive information from individuals that may contradict uh, evidence that you have encountered with your eyes and ears. For example, Vivek appearing on stage in New Hampshire with Donald Trump. Uh, that that seems to contradict what this caller was saying, that Vivek is still in Des Moines, has barricaded himself in this apartment building. Um, I, you know, I can't tell you what the real truth is. All I can say is that we've been presented <laughs> with a contradictory position here. And actually, I've got another contradictory position with this second call, which uh, we received from the same phone number. Hey guys, it's uh, uh, it's me. It's the uh, the Vivek lives in my building guy. I heard that my last voicemail. Whatever. Anyway, um, yeah. Basically, um, I I didn't I didn't interact with him again up until uh, uh, the caucus night, and then uh, after caucus night, he basically dropped out you know, right away. Um, I, then I, I did see actually the night that I got home. Um, uh, on caucus night, uh, <laughs> both of his, uh, rented Florida plate escalates were, uh, 
or uh, Escalade likes, uh, I guess, were in the garage in there when it was so damn cold and uh, they were like packing stuff in. So I think they uh, they were kind of getting ready for a speedy exit, and I haven't seen anybody from the campaign or or him uh, since. So they out anyway. Um, thanks for going on that adventure with me. That's a a, a core memory now. So pretty cool stuff. Thanks, guys. Bye. Okay, it sounds like uh, they may be. <laughs> Are using fake Escalades? <laughs> is that is that something? <laughs> they were they were Escalade likes, imitation Escalades. Straight out of a Escalade mid two thousands rap video. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that makes sense for for Vivek and his yeah big his, Eminem, uh, fan, Eminem yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah, you better lose yourself. Uh, he it sounds like the team was like fleeing the state with their tails between their legs. Um, yeah. Did anybody see the uh, Ben Shapiro rap? By the way, <laughs> I saw. Oh, <laughs> with Tom McDonald, the uh, yeah, like yeah. white. I thought it was AI. Rapper. <laughs> I thought it was AI at first because like the, the delivery is just so stilted and like robotic <laughs> yeah. and weird. <laughs> but no, it's real. I uh, uh, he's I haven't like listened to it or seen the actual video. I just saw the still from it, uh, where Ben was wearing like a "Facts Don't Care About Your Feelings" sweatshirt. Stylized yeah, like after the, the like, Dare logo. The Dare logo. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I uh I found out about Tom McDonald because there was a a guy outside of uh I was waiting for the bus. There was a guy at the bus stop with like a loud Bluetooth speaker who was playing Tom McDonald music. And I was like listening to the lyrics, I was like, What the hell is this? This is This, this was not- my first introduction to Tom. Uh, I'd never heard anything from Tom. <laughs> you before don't want this. to. It's yeah, so I, bad. I, 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 I surmise. <laughs> it's so bad. I mean I Yeah. I saw like I heard of him as a joke or like, you know, someone sent it to me as a joke. And then I actually like looked into it and I was like, oh my God, like this is so bad and I there's so many people who are so sincerely into it. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. It, it I mean and me. his part of that rap is like not even as bad as ben's which is saying oh, wow. something wow i've never well ben has a musical background so i guess it, it makes some sense i know, you know he would have yeah. some rhythm yeah. yeah well i thought he would uh yeah have a little bit more sense of how to <laughs> say words in in rhythmic phrases considering <laughs> that he understands music but you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i, I was just a, can rap. i was just astonished <laughs> to be hearing like these terrible <laughs> lyrics like in a public forum like why are you proudly playing this for everyone around you? You should be way too embarrassed. Uh, <laughs> uh, one other piece of news I wanted to mention briefly, uh, because it's related to the Iowa legislature. Uh, Laura Bellin has been reinstated yes. as a yep. as a legitimate member of the press in Iowa. <laughs> so c- congrats to her. Good for her. <laughs> yeah. Did you see Steve King congratulating her as yep. well? That was I sure did. Wild. Yeah. yeah. He he has been pretty interesting in in recent months. Uh, I have, I don't know. I it's not respect exactly, but it's like he seems to be a more principled person than than a lot of elected officials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, his principles are sometimes horrid, They're but terrible. Yeah. Sticks, <laughs> sticks by them, which yeah. I, I mean, it's, there's a certain <laughs> level of respect there, I guess. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, and as it relates to, you know, the uh, ongoing persecution of n- gender nonconforming people, is that, is that like a broad enough category to include all? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, in recent months in Iowa City, uh, 
a, a number of trans people have been, you know, charged with crimes for participating in yes. protests and uh, yes, and non-transgender people, cisgender people like me were not charged with those crimes despite yep. being present at the same protests, participating in the same activities. Um, there was a, the Iowa City Human Rights Commission issued a statement about the that ongoing issue. Uh there was some we've issued statements as well yeah oh good yeah good uh, yeah that was and, a really good statement for the human rights commission there mm-hmm. and uh there was a an iowa public radio piece by uh, zachary oren smith uh interviewing my friend tara mcgovern because tara is going to trial for those charges go to joco7.org to uh, find out more and help if you can yes uh but yeah it's it's been good to see more like bigger attention on this because i think most people are opposed to the way that this is being carried out uh county prosecutor uh rachel zimmerman smith uh you should drop the charges if you're listening (laughs) yeah agreed um yeah it's uh definitely seems to be a case of protesting while trans um Mm -hmm. going on here (laughs) and by the way if you're listening to the podcast you can scroll back in the feed and listen to i hear i see radio episode 128 where i interviewed tara about well mostly about music but we did talk about uh their legal situation a little bit oh by the way our phone number if you want to call and tell us about what's happening at your apartment building uh 319-849-8733 we'd love to hear from you uh we've got a mailing address, P.O. Box 5336 in Coralville, Iowa, zip code 52241. If you have any uh, trinkets that have been cursed by a, <laughs> a deity of your choice, uh, <laughs> send them on over. <laughs> um, well, Keenan, do you have anything you'd like to plug? You know, one Iowa... Check it out. Check out the list that Keenan has compiled of awful bills. Yeah, I mean, well, I guess I, uh, when will this be airing? I, that'll determine when I, what I plug. I'll get this out later today. Okay, so uh, Wednesday, we're asking people to show up for the hearing on that uh, bill to remove gender identity from the Civil Rights Act. Um, we are going to be uh, rallying and uh, testifying against that. Um, so show up. Uh, it's at noon on Wednesday in room 102. So that's on the first floor in the north uh, side of the rotunda. Uh, we'll be wearing purple. So wear something purple just so we know kind of who's who. And then we have our annual um, day on the hill the Monday following that, so February fifth. So there's there's two uh, opportunities within the next two weeks to show up to the Capitol um, and show legislators that it's unacceptable uh, what they're doing to uh, LGBTQ Iowans. Um, so there's that. Uh, there's a number of other subcommittees that be going on you know follow us for uh more information on all that stuff like i said that there's a rifra going up on tuesday as well um that's also a really harmful uh bit but um sign up uh for action alerts at oneiowaaction.org that's our rapid response platform so if you want uh quick easy ways to get in touch with your legislators that's the way to do it um Right now, for instance, we already have a quick, easy form that people can use. You type in your address, it automatically pulls up who your representative is and uh, gives you some model language and all that good stuff. Uh, and then finally, if you are interested in letting legislators know exactly how you feel about that particular bill or any particular bill, you can always go and leave written testimony uh, on those bills as well. And that does close once the subcommittee starts. So you want to get that in before the subcommittee happens. I would also say on any subcommittee, 
which the subcommittees in Iowa are the only times where where the public gets to uh, give input to legislators. So that is the thing that you need to focus on. And even if you are planning to speak, I would say always go and submit those written remarks first, just in case you don't get the opportunity to speak for whatever reason, then mm-hmm. at least you've lit, left your uh, written testimony there for legislators. And um, we can use that, of course, uh, for a number of different things, uh, including future litigation and things like that. So it's not just um, uh, a futile exercise. I would say that it is actually important um, to leave written testimony and to show up to the Capitol um, and just make your make your voice heard uh, because there's really no resistance uh, other than that. And if they don't see any sort of consequences for this kind of stuff, it'll just keep happening over and over and over again. Yeah. And that's good to know that it's not just a futile effort because it often feels that way with stuff like yeah, this. Yeah, it does, right? <laughs> like, um, But it's it's more of a, a drop-in-the-bucket kind of thing. If you want the bucket full, every drop counts. Uh, yeah. And so it might not yep. feel like a huge thing to do. Like in your, yeah, Maybe your individual comment isn't like <laughs> changing everybody's mind mm-hmm. and, and, um, and getting a bill killed, but uh, a thousand other ones along with yours might might go a long way. Yeah, yeah. There may not be any perfect combination of words to uh, turn Iowa yeah. around. <laughs> yeah, that's what I that's what I thought when I first started this job that it would just be you fi- you find the coolest thing to say and everybody will change their minds. <laughs> no, yeah, unfortunately, uh, reality is not scripted, uh, so <laughs> it's not. <Yeah. laughs> uh, we always close out our show with uh, music. Uh, preferably local music. I was hoping to play maybe a track from your recent live album. Sure. Live in Ames. Is there, uh, yeah. do you have a favorite off of that? I mean, I think Fragile is probably one of the more listenable ones. So, okay. And what makes it listenable? Listenable. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't start off super slow. Uh, it starts off pretty zippy and, okay. uh, um and i i really like how the uh, guitar harmonies work in it i think it's a neat piece nice all right so uh listen to a little bit of fragile here and there will be a link to uh arius's live and aims which you can also find on your favorite uh streaming platforms i, I assume i think Absolutely, that's right yeah. yeah yeah yes but you should buy it on Bandcamp, as you should do with all music that you yes. like I 100 percent agree. Yeah. Well, yes, except it kind of sucks about the epic thing, but you know, whatever. That's true. That's yeah. true. But yeah. I mean, it's but still still more of your dollars are going to the artist, regardless. Right. So. Right. Yeah, and it's pretty much the only like accessible way to actually send money to musicians right now. So it is right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that that'll do it for Rock Hard Caucus. Thank you so much, Keenan, for talking with us at length. Uh, you are way more well-informed than we are on these subjects yes so. thank you we like to have people who know what they're talking about for a change you know uh, very much appreciated and thank you for having me on all right see you later everybody 